Hey everyone, welcome back to Speak, Listen, Heal. I'm your host, Madison. This is episode number nine, and in this episode, we will hear from Josh. When I first asked Josh if he was interested in participating in this project, he told me he had already started writing out his life story and had titled it The First Time I Died, which is a very compelling title. So I am very grateful to Josh for sitting down with me and telling his story, including his brushes with death and how he survived them. So thanks to all of you for being here and thanks for listening. Enjoy. to Charleston in the fall of 2020 from a place called Columbus, Ohio. I was raised off and on in a small town called Stryker, Ohio, where most of the good and bad in my life would transpire. I was raised by my mother and older brother as my father decided at age two to head to Florida and never look back. I was raised on a farm until age 10 then moved into the city life. It was there that I would make a journey to the holy city and experience homelessness for a third time. My brother and I were living in Mount Pleasant, and I had a full-time job working at Lowe's Home Improvement. Life was pretty good until I tore my labrum and my bicep in my left shoulder and also hurt my shoulder, my right shoulder, a few weeks ago. As I sat at home, the anxiety and depression took over, forcing me to resort to the only friend that never leaves me, alcohol. For the next nine months, I would self-medicate and try to deal with life alone. It all started Thanksgiving weekend after a few months of boredom and anxiety. I had been looking forward to Christmas and thought everything was okay for the most part. Boy, was I wrong. I was dropped off in Greenville about a week later, the 30th of November, with nothing but a duffel bag full of clothes and papers my whole life. I had no idea where I was or what I was about to encounter. I ended up at a place called Miracle Hill. It was a warming shelter slash homeless shelter in Greenville for approximately two months. I was almost broken eating a place to lay my head when I came across the mission. I would be there until February when I got fed up with the Greenville nonsense and decided I'd had enough. After being robbed twice and realizing this was nowhere to call home, I left. I made my way back to Charleston and I was attempting to correct my life and get my life in order, but you can't do that when you're sleeping under a bridge. (laughs) I continued to self-medicate for approximately a week and a half until I got fed up and decided that this this was no place to live and this was no way to live. 
So, I uh, decided that it was time to uh, end it all. And I decided to go for a little walk and commit suicide. So, I uh, went for that little walk, decided against it, and uh, called the local police department and ended up at MUSC. Thankfully, I uh, talked myself out of it because uh, I've been dealing with depression and anxiety for, oh, I don't know, 20 years now. And sometimes it just gets overwhelming. So anyway, I, uh, I ended up at MUSC in a paper suit for a couple of days and, uh, and they decided that I was not fit for hospitalization and released me from the hospital. Uh, thankfully, like I said, with a blessing, they found a bed for me here at 180. And I've been here since March 10th. And I've come to the conclusion that this is where I need to be, not under the Ravenel Bridge walkway. I've been here approximately three weeks now, going on a month. And... It is, without a shadow of a doubt, probably the nicest and most helpful shelter I've been in, and that's nothing to obviously brag about, but this is the third time now that I've had to go through this, and I've been in some pretty bad ones, but this place has been nothing but amazing to me, so I'm working on getting all my mental health stuff dealt with, you know, the depression and anxiety, which I've dealt with in my whole life. It's not that big of a deal, but... This place actually has resources that can help me. And I've come to the conclusion that their slogan is exactly what I need to do right now. Now, with that being said, you're probably wondering how and why I would leave here, but I'm actually already in the process of planning on leaving, so I... Uh, I wanted to uh, just have some stabilization in life. And, you know, I come to the realization when I was sitting in a rainstorm three weeks ago that I didn't want to live like that anymore. So thankfully, like I said, with a blessing, I got here. And uh, I have nothing but great things to say about this place. Can you tell us about the first time you died? That was when I was six months old. I contracted spinal meningitis from a mosquito bite in the forehead. I was in a stroller. We were at the annual 4th of July parade. My mom was pushing me around in a stroller, obviously. I was a baby and don't remember any of this, but I, uh, I got bit in the forehead by a mosquito bite, and I ended up with a hundred and something temperature and in the emergency room before they figured out something was wrong. And apparently that encapsulated a two-month experiment of trying to keep me alive. And from what I've read, it was not good. Um, apparently I flatlined a couple times from what I've read. Um, I had an IV inserted into my head to pump blood into my brain to keep me alive. 
I apparently had to have so many blood transfusions that the day I turned 18, I had to go get an HIV test because blood back in 1982 wasn't regulated like it is now. So the very first day I turned 18, I had to go get an HIV test done because of that. And that was a... That was how I know that I have a purpose. I just don't know what that purpose is. So that, that that's kind of got me wondering because, you know, I, I shouldn't be here right now. And that was just the first time. I mean, I, there's been times since and I, yeah, once was my fault and once was, uh, oh yeah, once was my fault and once was uh, stupidity, but you know, I didn't have no control over that one, but yeah, it was uh, it was spinal meningitis. Like I said, I flatlined a couple times and I died. But yeah, that was the first time I died. That's where the the title of this came from. But yeah, I was six months old. <laughs> so third time was my doing. Second time. Well, anyway, so so it's the middle of December in Ohio. It's cold. I'll just put it to you like that. Me and a buddy ended up about 15-20 miles away from my house. I was doing like I always do and I was taking care of him because he showed up at my house at 7 o'clock in the morning drunk as a skunk beating on the side of my trailer. With that being said, I get up and I help his drunk ass over to his uncle's house to try to get him to sleep but we get there and he doesn't want to go to sleep which that's fine so for the next 12 hours I babysat a drunk and I thought everything was fine till we decided to head back towards the house this is now this started at 7 a.m. this is now approximately 7 8 o'clock at night and we start to head back to the house, at which point he starts driving like an idiot and we get in an argument because he's doing like 90 miles an hour, drunk as a skunk, and he decides that he wants to start driving like an idiot while I'm sober and don't want to die. <laughs> so we, uh, we start heading back to the house and uh, long story short, we end up getting in a fight and he pulls the car over. We get in a fight outside of the car, words were exchanged, fists were thrown, things were broken, and he ends up leaving me stranded in the middle of nowhere, about 15 miles from my house, and the middle of dead winter with nothing but a very thinly insulated Nike coat on. So, he takes off. I start trying to get a hold of people on my cell phone. Of course, nobody answers. Imagine that. And I uh, just decide to start walking. And I started to walk, not realizing at the time that I had pneumonia and had pneumonia for approximately two months, I found out before that. That never cleared up. So, unbeknownst to me, I started walking for home. I planned on walking the 15 miles to home. <clears throat> well, regardless, irregardless, I didn't make it. 
I, uh, I made it approximately five miles before my right lung collapsed. Well, it didn't collapse. My right lung shut down and I apparently was walking with just one lung working. I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel tired. I didn't feel sick. I didn't feel nothing. So I just uh, kept walking until uh, the left one gave out. And uh, apparently, from what I was told, because I don't remember any of it, uh, I collapsed and uh, hit the ground, and somebody almost ran me over on a country road. Mind you, this is in the middle of winter in Ohio, and we're in the country. So, you know, the fact that there was even traffic, mind you, it's an 8, 30, 9 o'clock at night, is nothing short of a miracle in and of itself. But I apparently laid there for God only knows how long. They uh, found me half in and out of the ditch. So when I collapsed, like part of my legs, I guess, were hanging over the side of the road, like towards the ditch. And I guess somebody drove by and seen me and uh, tried waking me up and called 911. I, uh, I, uh, this is Friday evening. I woke up on a ventilator Saturday morning about 9.30 and, uh, had absolutely no recollection of what had happened or what was going on. So as I come to... I have a gigantic tube down my throat and I can't figure out what's going on. So eventually it was told to me that both of my lungs had quit working. It was called acute respiratory failure. And I had stopped breathing to the point that I was dead. They don't know for how long. They don't know how long I laid there. They don't know how long they don't know how long I was there. They don't know how long I laid there. They don't know anything about it. That was right after they took the ventilator out. Okay. Yeah. But uh, anyway, they took the ventilator out. They uh, made me stay a night for observation and uh, let me go home Sunday morning. And that was the second time I died. And the third time I died would have been when I uh, hurt myself last year. That was, uh, that was my own doing. Can you tell us a little about your family and life growing up? I have raised myself since I was six years old. My mother was in a accident when I was six years old and my dad split when I was two, so he wasn't around to raise me. So my older brother raised me. And like I said, it was uh, 1988. I would have been six at the time. I was born in 1982. But um, the year before, my, my brother had broke my collarbone. And uh, I was in a full upper body cast for a year. Well, not like a year, but uh, like off and on six months. Like, But then I had to wear it off and on. But uh, anyway, that, that, that happened in kindergarten. And then uh, a year later, after I was done dealing with that, then uh, mom was a passenger in a car with a drunk driver that hit a pole at 55 miles an hour on her side of the car. 
and like they say what usually happens is exactly what happened the uh the drunk walked away uninjured basically and she spent 366 days straight in toledo hospital actually it's called the it was called the they changed the name now. It's now it's the University of Toledo Medical Center. UTMC is what it's called now. But uh, yeah, so that happened, and uh, me and my brother went to live with my aunt Sandy, and uh, on the other side of town, she was in Stryker also. But we went to live with her while mom stayed in the hospital. So we uh, stayed there with her for the year that mom was in the hospital. But uh, let me backtrack for a second. I will tell you this because maybe this will help. I'll never forget the morning that the accident happened. I remember it vividly because the guy that was driving the car had bonded out of jail, came to our came to my aunt Sandy's house, which was our home now at this time because when the accident happened, you know, of course we just naturally went to stay with her. She was right across town, you know, her and my mom were sisters, blah, 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 whatever. So, the weird thing that I remember is, like, coming down the stairs and seeing, seeing my mom's boyfriend, Mike, in a head bandage. That's the first thing I remember. And... For some reason, like the stairs, I remember it vividly because like the stairs, and this is this is what I kind of don't don't get, but I remember when I was coming down the stairs, it was almost like a slow reveal. Like every step that I took, like I, I could see a little bit more of him. You know what I mean? All the way up to then I saw the bandage. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then when I got to the bottom of the stairs, I looked around and I didn't see mom. And that kind of, that kind of, like, makes me think later on in life, like, why do, why do I remember that so vividly? But, like, I don't remember him telling me, or me and my brother, I remember it. I remember what he said, and I remember all that, but, like, I remember the stairs, the stairwell, like, vividly, like, coming down. It was almost like a reveal. You know what I mean? Like I said, you could see a little bit of him as I was going down, and then it just got all the way to that bandage. And I think that's when I kind of, you know, realized something wasn't right. So I get down to Toledo, and uh, I see her laying there hooked up to every kind of tube and machine in the world. And uh, like I said, she spent 366 days straight in the hospital, and then... um, me and my brother just uh, stayed with my aunt for, we lived at my aunt's for the next four years till I was 10. Mom came back to my aunt's. We were renting at the time. My aunt owned her home on the other side of town. So we just ended up staying with her because she had a one, two, three, three bedroom house to herself and she was handicapped also. Um, yeah, so we moved in with her when I was 10 and then, uh, so after the year in the hospital, I'll just give you a little brief history of what she went through for the next like 20 years. So she gets out of the hospital and long story short, it was 
approximately 30 to 35 operations and surgeries later that she's missing half of her right leg, had both hips replaced, and has steel and metal and rods and everything else throughout her whole body. And somehow, after all that, she actually went back to work as a home health aide in early 2000 and did that for a couple of years. She decided she was tired of sitting at home and actually went back to being a home health aide and helping people. I just took care of her. I mean, I have a, I paid her rent for a year and a half. I mean, when she was fighting Social Security, I, uh, I've always made sure that she was taken care of, like, even before myself. But my brother just, you know, got married, came down here and just, yeah, split. So I wasn't going to leave her, you know. So I always made sure I was close by. So but great relationship, though. I mean, I love her to death and, you know, I'm probably going to bawl like a baby when she when she dies. But she, uh, she had a stroke three years ago and she's been uh, confined to a nursing home ever since. So I'm dealing with that also at the moment so so where are you at now right now let me just say this right now I'm approaching one day at a time because I quit drinking before I got here on my own accord I decided to and I decided I didn't want to live underneath a walkway anymore so every day that I wake up I see as an opportunity to be better than the day before, which is the old adage that I grew up on, which mom taught me, which is, you know, she always said to treat others how you want to be treated. I remember that from a young age. My grandma used to be that same way too. I've just always lived my life that way. So... I just, uh, I try to just stay positive right now. I mean, I've got, I've got things and, and things working for me and things working against me right now, but you know, I don't, uh, I don't like getting caught up in my head too much. You know what I mean? Because you see how I get, I get restless. I just wish people would show a little more compassion towards the next human being. Be better than the person that you were the day before. That's what I strive to be. I try to be better the next day than I was the day before. So no matter, like today I don't have any plans. I don't know what I'm doing when I leave here, but I'm gonna just persevere. I mean, it, you know, just, just do better and be better. Like, just be compassionate. Just remember that everybody's going through something right now. Whether it's COVID, whether it's life, whether it's this, whether it's that. Like I said, it can't get any worse. It can only get better. Tomorrow's a new day. Always stay positive. Because if I didn't right now, I would have definitely jumped off the bridge. But I didn't. And I'm glad that I didn't because I have a purpose in life. I just don't know what it is at the moment because I haven't figured it out so I'm going to spend the next 20 years or however long God decides to let me live trying to figure that out but like I said also 
just being compassionate and realizing that everybody's going through it. Because I think right now a lot of us are going through it. I think I think depression and anxiety is at an all-time high in this country. And this country needs to address its mental health needs a lot more than it's doing right now. Because I see it every day. I can walk around here and see people that need help. And it just it drives me crazy like how people can just be left like that. Just discarded. That's what it is. I was there. <laughs> I was living it. So yeah, that's my message. Be better. Be better the next day when you wake up.